0: Our Bible reading for today is taken from various passages in the book of Genesis chapters one to four, and then chapter six as displayed on your screen. At the end of this reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Chapter two, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Chapter three, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Chapter 4. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad and Erad was the father of Mehujael. And Mehujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools and out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper depths. Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and closed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you very much, Faye, for that reading. Uh, it seems to be scattered all over the place, and we'll try to explain why. But welcome. Um, if you are new to City Church, or maybe you've not been here in a while, thank you for joining our online service. My name is Femi Oshini. I'm lead pastor here in City Church. And you've come at the right time because we're about to start a brand new series, a brand new sermon series. I mean, some people may call it a teaching series. It's a mini-series. And it's going to focus on some specialized uh, topic as uh, we're going to be talking about the intersection between Christianity and technology. That's what this is called the rewired. And so we don't often always do things like this, but sometimes it's quite important and I explain why. But before we do that, it's important for us to pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, uh, for the gift of your word and for the ability to look and search deeply in the scriptures, to hear your voice, and then in hearing your voice to be transformed by the life that comes. So Lord, I ask this morning that you would open our hearts and open our minds and let your Holy Spirit come to magnify the person of Jesus and so that our lives will never be the same again. Amen. Now, how important is technology to us today? And why should we even be talking on a Sunday morning about technology in church? Well, picture three guys. One is called Ajani, the other one is called Ajanoku, and the third is called Ajai. Now, Ajani lives in 1420, Ajanoku in 1820, and Ajai in 2020. Whose lives? Whose lives, in terms of just two of them? Whose lives do you think will be closest to one another in terms of their lived experience? Um, Most of us, on the surface of things, will say, "Well, I think Ajani in 1420, and Ajanoku in 1620." uh, Sorry, Ajanoku in. What am I saying? Yes, you think you say that Ajanoku in 1820 and Ajai in 2020 you expect their lives to be much more closer in lived experience um, to themselves than maybe you would expect Ajanoku with Ajani. Why? Because Ajahnoku to Ajani is 400 years. It's separated by 400 years, while uh, Ajanoku to Ajai is 200 years. Now, the truth about that is, if that was your answer, you'd be wrong. You'll be wrong. And that's because of the kind of technological advancement that we've had in the last 200 years. So, for instance, I'm saying that because if you just compare their lives, for instance, Ajani and Ajanoku's outdoor life would have been much more similar than Ajai's life, which was always lived much more indoors. The first two actually lived their lives much more outdoors. The last other one lives his life more indoors. Or think about the transportation, the form of transportation of the first two. It's really through animals and some of the tools that you build around animals. Whereas, look at the last one, his form of transportation is really mechanized, whether it's airplanes or automobiles or trains. Or then you think about their places of worship. The first two would have had communal places of worship. It would be around their areas because of the limitation of transportation. Whereas, with Ajayi, he can be living in Ikeja and go to church in Leki. And so you start to see the differences in their lives. The first two, their, their uh, bathrooms were outdoors, whereas with uh, Ajayi, it's indoors. The first two, when they had to speak, communication was done in person mainly, whereas with this one, we're now talking about video calls. You see, the scale of technological advancement in the last 200 years has been vast. So much so that it's impossible for us to think of our lives outside of technology for instance how did you get here today maybe i should read a bit of what it took to get you here today you slept on a bed that was made from wood that came from trees but worked on by a carpenter who has employed a variety of tools Not to mention the complex manufacturing technology that goes into making a mattress. Then you brush your teeth with an industrially manufactured toothbrush along with chemically derived toothpaste contained in a tube whose material cannot be sourced from the earth naturally but also chemically manufactured. This doesn't even get me into talking about your soap, your sponges and your towels. Then you got dressed in clothes whose fabric technological development was probably researched upon in a university and then realized and scaled up in some manufacturing plant only to be sewed by sewing machines, um, uh, uh, to be sewed by a tailor using sewing machines. Let's not get into your slippers, sandals, and shoes that you're wearing. But what about your food? You probably ate on using ceramic plates your kids used utensils made of both alloy metal and plastic you are sitting on a manufactured and carpenter made sofa in a house built with cement derived from limestone to watch an electronically manufactured tv desktop laptop tablet or smartphone powered by an electrical grid or battery on the back of internet accessibility transmitted via fiber optic or radio wave to you in a place whose temperature is manipulated to your comfort by a fan or air conditioner only to hear, Welcome to City Church. And the fact that you are joining service via live broadcast on YouTube, Mixer, Facebook, none of which existed before the year 2000, or none of which existed in the year 2000, is itself a technological achievement. Do you understand it now, why we have to treat this topic? Because it is impossible to think about our lives without technology. If it is that that much around us, if it is that much around us in the world that God created, do you think that God doesn't have anything to say about it? Well, actually, the Bible does have a lot to say about it. And that's what we want to look at in this three-part series. Because if we are able to see what the Bible says about it, then we can be wiser on how we use technology. Ultimately, we're going to look at how technology starts and uh, the framework, uh, framework that the Bible provides for technology, but also practically how we can use it in a way that it doesn't use us. But ultimately, we'll always see that technology always points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today we want to start with origins. That's why we call this sermon Wired from the Beginning. And we'll be looking largely just in the first six chapters of the Bible, first six chapters of Genesis. And so I've divided it into three different uh, sections. We call it Technological Origins, Technological Malfunction, and Technological Upgrade. Technological Origins, Technological Manufacturing. Malfa- technological origins technological malfunction malfunction technological malfunction and technological upgrade all right i'm not going to try that again all right so let's start with the first one now how many of us think about computer programming you see if you've not think again because a lot of the things that you run on your life is really based on some kind of computer program or the other the the device that you're using and the app that is um, uh, enabling you to watch it on that device, all of them are running on some kind of computer programs. Now, Hello World is the way most people who have developed um, um, uh, a new computer program announce the coming of that uh, program into the world. world. And so on your screen, you probably see how Hello World was written is first maybe in a language called Java, another one called PHP, right? But the fascinating thing about computer language is really what? Essentially, a computer programmer is developing working tools through nothing else but words. He creates working tools or she creates working tools through nothing else but words. What does that remind you of? Well in the very first chapter and the beginning of the book of Genesis we find a God who creates things out of nothing using what? Words. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then we find in verse 3 that God said, let there be light. And the first day, the second day, God kept on saying, and each time he was saying, eventually it led to something being created. In other words, God himself is the ultimate inspiration for technology, or let's say for computer programmers. Because unlike them, who still need a computer, a laptop to be able to do that, and they need electricity through the battery or electrical grid, God actually, with words, created something out of nothing. And on the sixth day, God then said again, he wanted to create something else. What did he want to create in verse 26? He said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Notice what it says in verse 26 and 27, that human beings are created in God's image. Now, to be created in God's image means that we reflect God. Now, we reflect God in at least four different things this text shows us, especially in verse 26. Notice, it says, let us, let us, so there's a community in that regard, do we reflect God in our relatability, in how we relate with one another. Let us. And then in verse, uh, then secondly, he says, let us make mankind so that, so that. So there was a purpose for which he created mankind. In other words, he was thinking about how, uh, the, 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 the reason why he was creating them. So not only do we reflect God in our relating, we also reflect God in our thinking. Then third. He says that so that they may rule, they may rule over. In other translations, it says that they may have dominion. God is the king of the universe, but those who reflect his image, he has put there in this world to be able to rule. And then finally, he says, let us make. Let us make. In other words, God created, and those he created eventually will reflect him in the fact that they themselves create. Now, they don't create something out of nothing. We don't have that ability, but we create derivatively. In other words, God has given us the raw materials of this world and he's saying, make more of it than what I gave you. In verse 28, he says to him, he says, Be fruitful, God bless them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and then subdue it. Make more of it than I have given to you. That's why in 2 verse 15, it says, God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In the NASB translation, it says to cultivate it and to keep it. God wants us to cultivate this raw material of this world into something that is more than what we just see. That is how we reflect God. And so when we create, the theologian Stanley Grant says that we create four different kinds of things. We create things, we create images, we create uh, um, uh, rituals, and we create languages. What do I mean by things? We create things, things are physical objects just like bridges that help us you know, bridge one place to the other, cars, utensils, pencils, those are things. What about images? Images are objects representing, um, that represent things that we, we, we see. So for instance, uh, traffic light is representing how we want to organize, um, uh, how we move traffic. Logos, brand logos, emojis. And then what are rituals? Rituals are really what we do with the images and the things it's the is the rhythm the 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 rhythmic life that we create with the images and the things so for instance when we create the thing of a toothbrush and toothpaste right and what they represent we then create a, a pattern whereby we brush our teeth every morning and hopefully every evening when we plant and we harvest these are rituals the way we develop how to cook these are rituals and then the final thing is language what is language well language is then what's made what we make to communicate the meaning of other of the other three now if you notice if you get into any place you would notice that they have what we call a culture what really is a culture a culture is you can see a culture through three different things when you get into this place you say well this represents who these people are their identity You start to see certain things. This represents who these people are, their identity. But also, you find out that um, you look at this is what is important to these people, their value. And this is how these people express themselves, their meaning. Identity, value, meaning. Why have I said those three things? Here's the reason why. Those four things that we create, the things the images, the rituals, and the language, when you accumulate them together among many people, what you will see is the what's important to them, their values, what uh, represents them, their identity, but also how they express themselves, their meaning. When you put all of these things together, we have what you call culture. And really, the culture is really the expression of what, what, what means something to these people, what Uh, What is valuable to these people, but it is seen through the things that they create. Don't forget that the whole basis of um, um, our reflection of God in um, our creativity is to make more of the world that God has given to us. But ultimately, when we continue to do that, that eventually leads to us making culture that's why some people have said uh, Genesis 1, 26, 28 is the cultural mandate. Go and make culture, if you like, in summary, because you are created in my image. And by doing that, we make more of the world. We cultivate the world. Notice the word culture comes from the word cult, and that word cult also gives us cultivate. We're able to bring uh, We are able to bring medical pills out of herbs. We are able to bring cement out of limestone. Gary, out of cassava. Silicon, or microchips out of silicon when we make more of the world. Where am I going with this? And where does this, where does technology fit into all of this? Because really you should ask the question, what is technology? Well, technology sits between that raw creation of God and the thing we are trying to create for a particular purpose. It sits between that raw creation of God and the thing we are trying to create for a particular purpose. A guy called John Dyer, John Dyer and his book, From Garden to the City, really has inspired my thinking on this, he says, it is the technology is the human activity of using tools to transform God's creation for practical purposes. The human activity of using tools to transform God's creation for practical purposes. Have you seen what it is there? Technology is what we use to transform. We want to transform something. God says, go and make more of the world. How are you going to make more of the world? It is when you transform the world. What do you use to transform it? Technology. So, for instance, take a wall. A wall, and you take a hammer, and you drive the ham- a nail into that wall. What have you done? You've transformed that wall. Because now the wall has a hole that was not there prior to when you drove that nail into it. But what are you using that hole for? Well, you're using it to put a nail inside and now you can hang a painting or you can hang a clock on it. The practical purpose was to put that painting on the clock. What you had in your raw material was the wall. What was the technology? The hammer, using the hammer to drive the nail through it. The hammer became that technological tool. And so we're seeing more and more of transformation of the world through technology. Are you still with me? Still hanging there. I hope it's not become too theoretical. Because I want you to see something very important in verse 28. Because in verse 28, notice it says, in the blessing, because God blessed them. But God then said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So you notice something that the fruitfulness and the increase of the human population is also linked to its subduing of the earth. In other words, the increase should lead to more cultivation, but for you to achieve more of that cultivation, you need more innovation. With more increase, you can have more cultivation of the world, but for you to have more cultivation of the world where there is increase, you need what? more innovation or more technological innovation. Now, the evidence of this, let me tell you um, just a little bit of technological history. In 16, 1650, at the time of uh, w- when the world was in the year of 1650, much of human history in terms of technological development had not been big. it had not been huge. In fact, it had really been a f- it had really been flat. It, you know there, there are some developments here and there, but much of human history had not seen any huge revolution. Now almost 200 years before that you had Gutenberg's uh, I think 1440 Gutenberg's uh, printing press, but before that but after that nothing huge. But then a turning point came in 1650. Because between 1650 and 1850, I want to give you three different periods. Between 1650 and 1850, something happened. You know what happened? The population of the world doubled. And in that same period, what had happened was because of Gutenberg's uh, printing press, more books were now being published. All of a sudden thought that had to be um, uh, people's thinking and knowledge that you could only access when you were with them all of a sudden now could be put on something where they were not there, uh, it could be put on something, their thoughts could be put on material and that was now independent of their presence. And in the same period as well, there were improvements in shipping. And so transportation became more efficient and more effective, what do you think then happened? Along with the printing press, more people writing, and now all of a sudden, knowledge is being, uh, uh, the uh, uh, books are being written and being produced, and now there's more transportation, there was more sharing of knowledge, an increase in sharing of knowledge. And as we fast forward within the latter period of, of 1650 to 1850 was what we then called the Industrial Revolution, where machines, big machines, powerful machines, some of which you can see on your screen, right, were now created to replicate the mechanized human behavior, but to amplify it. It was replicating what we do with our hands, replicating what we do with our legs. but All of a sudden now it's on larger scales. And this then led to the production of goods at speeds and quantities that had never been seen before. You know the result of that? The mortality rate was cut. And because the mortality rate, as in the rate at which people die, was brought down, the human population also grew And as the human population grew, so did wealth as well. Before, when somebody had to paint, could take two years to paint for you, all of a sudden now that same painting could be done in two hours by machines. Everything changed. 1650, over 200 years, the the population doubled and there was more subduing and cultivation of the world. The next period was from 1850 to 1950. Do you know what happened in that period to the world's population? It doubled. It doubled. And now, what was being replicated of human beings was no longer the mechanized behavior, which is our legs, arms, and all those things. What was being replicated were our senses. So eyes were being replicated through what? Photography, as you can see. Ears were being replicated through what? The phonograph, or the gramophone as you can see, and brains were being replicated through what, the telegraph. All of a sudden, human behavior was now being replicated through technology. The next age, the third one I will talk about is from 1950 to the year 2000. What do you think happened to the world's population? You guessed it, it doubled again. And what kind of technological advancement were we having in this period? Actually, what you had was a combination of the two. All of a sudden, the foundational tools, those sensory tools that were built in the second age from 1850 to 1950, they were now developed at a quicker level using the processes of the first age, the machines and all of those things. And this led to better products better sensory products or integrated products than we, that we saw in the, in it, uh, from 1850 to 1950. So instead now of uh, 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 just, uh, just normal photographs, we had all kinds of cameras coming up, Polaroid cameras, where you could get instant photographs. We now had radios, we now had televisions, we now had mobile phones, we now had computers and, and the internet, which were really the grandchildren of the telegraph. Do you see what has happened? But I hope you've also noticed what was going on. In each of these periods, the population of the world was doubling in, and each of the periods um, was half the time of the previous one. Population of the world doubled in 200 years. Next in population of the world doubled in 100 years and next in population of the world doubled in 50 years. Increase, be fruitful. But then when you do that, fill and subdue the earth, cultivate it. Only Lord knows, we are probably living in another age. If we follow that logic, I don't think we are doubling between 2020 and 2025, but the technological advancement, now we're in the age of apps, we're in the age of social media and all of those things. Maybe the one we should even be more scared of or more happy with is the one that comes after 2025, when we are gonna have 5G, most likely, and we're gonna have artificial intelligence become more and more prevalent in our day. I don't know how that is going to transform the world. But what I want you to see in all of this is this, that as population increases, the technology that we have progresses to help us subdue God's creation. We are creating more and more things that is improving our quality of life in certain ways. In this regard, technology is an act of God. It is a result of the blessing that God gave to humankind and the cultural mandate that he gave to us. Now, But that leads me to my second point. Now, the second point we call technological malfunction. Now these human beings that God created, Adam and Eve, they wanted to be more than human. They wanted to be God. They fell into temptation through Satan. You see, uh, God told them not to eat of a certain thing. And in verse uh, 6 of chapter 3, um, the, um, Satan tricked them. And um, she saw that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom. And eventually she gave it to her husband and he ate. The eyes of both of them were open. Then they realized that they were naked. I'll I'll get back to that. But you see, these same people that God created in His image wanted to be gods, And this was a cardinal issue. It was a catastrophic issue. We call this the fall in Christian theology. The fall, the fall of humanity. Now, what does this mean in relation to technology? There are three things I want you to see. Call them devotion, reflection, and distraction. Devotion, reflection, and distraction. Now, when they had fallen, what did they do? Look at it in verse seven. The eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So in order to clothe themselves with sh- their sh- uh, uh, to, to clothe themselves, um, what did they do? They looked for a technological solution. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, many times we don't think about clothes as a statement, as a technological product. We only just think about it in terms of the identity that is able to help us uh, show our, our fashion sense and what have you. But first and foremost, for them, it was helping them to protect them from their environment. It was a technological solution. But it was something deeper. Because prior to that, they didn't know they were naked. God asked them, how did you know that you were naked? In other words, there was something deeper that was going on there. All of a sudden, they felt vulnerable. Why? Because they were ashamed. And that shame meant that they had lost something. They had lost a certain kind of covering. That is, their relationship with God was now compromised because they had fallen into sin. But also it said something else. Who sowed it? They sowed it themselves. In other words, after they had fallen from God, they now became their own saviors. They looked for the technology to be able to save them. They wanted to start to deal with the effect of the curse because God eventually did pronounce judgment on them. And one of the things he said is in verse 17 of chapter 3. He said, look, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. In other words, now the ground that Adam was meant to toil, the the ground that he was meant to cultivate, the world that he was meant to cultivate, he could still do that, but now it was going to come with a curse. It was going to become hard. And so we then use technology to alleviate some of the effects of this curse. So, for instance, take um, uh, tractors and farming tools. That's what people use to try to till the unruly soil. Or take one of my favorites. In fact, I don't know how I would have lived if I didn't live in this time. You know why? Because of air condition. I cannot do without AC. Okay, I can't say I can't do without AC, but like, I avoid places that don't have ACs. Or, for instance, it's hard for me to be outside with the sun in any kind of way because my eyes just automatically screen. So I'm thankful for sunglasses. Some of us are thankful for the antibiotics against the infections that we have. Some of you are very happy about the sofas that you are sitting on right now. What is going on is that we are having technological progress to help us deal with the effects, some of the bad effects of the fall. But the problem is, it starts to give rise to the myth that we can save ourselves outside of God. It gives rise, as much as we progress technologically, it gives rise to a a feeling of invincibility that makes us believe that we have no need for God. You see, the more we're able to use technology to help deal with the effects of the fall, the more we don't feel like we need to deal with the root cause of the effects. We deal with the symptoms, but not the root cause. Instead, we start to devote ourselves to what and who will give us technological comfort, solution, and salvation. Looking to them for ever more solutions. And we look to them. Why? Because they never actually, with their solutions, ask us to look deeper into our heart and the sinfulness that we have there. this is really deep because many times we don't see how we are devoting ourselves almost in a religious fashion to these devices or to the people who give us these devices. Take some two two guys, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. Now there are people who are thankful for what they've given to us, some people don't even know who those are. But there are some people that follow them with a certain kind of almost a sense of religious fervor. Some people liken Steve Jobs coming down with the iPad as Moses coming down uh, with the tablets. You know, This was the new tablet when Steve Jobs just presented it. These are the tablets that are going to take us into the new world. But some people look to those solutions as the thing that will totally transform our lives. I love Bill Gates and I think he's an irremarkable man. But the way sometimes some people view him almost is as though this is the savior of the world, especially in the time of the pandemic, for instance. And the reason why we keep seeking all these forms of salvation outside of God is because as we are getting solutions to the effect of the curse of sin it stops us from looking at the real root of that that curse, the sin in our own hearts. And so our devotion is misdirected. Now, the second thing I want us to see is, and the second and third thing are really in the life of Cain. Cain was Adam and Eve's murderous son. He was their first son. He killed the second born, um, who was Abel. He was a murderer. When God says, be fruitful and increase Cain was causing a decrease in the population, but if you look at Cain's life, there's so much that you can, can see from it, but there are two things I want you to see in Cain's life and his, that of his descendants. In verse 16 of chapter 4, it says, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, I don't want you to miss that out because when it says east of Eden, when god banished adam and eve you can see this in genesis 3 20 uh, 24 when god banished adam and eve right he banished them it was almost at the door to um to the garden where he put two cherubims with uh, flaming sword what at the east so if Cain is going east from Eden. He's going further and further away from Eden. And that was where Adam and Eve met with God. In other words, dwelling in the land of Nod was a reflection of the fact that Cain was going further and further away from God. And when he did that, do you know what he did in verse 17? Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son Enoch. Cain was then building a city. And he named it after Enoch, his son, Enoch. In other words, when Cain left the presence of God, what did he do? As he was moving away from the garden, he created his own alternative garden, a city. What What was the city to him? It was a place of technological advancement that reflected but also facilitated his further isolation from God. It reflected his isolation from God, but facilitated a further isolation from God. What do I mean? All right, let's break that down. In his descendants, you see in verses 18 to 22, but I'm only just going to read from verse 20. Ada gave birth to uh, Jabal. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played string instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. tubal Cain's sister was you can read the rest but notice what happened that in this city as kings generations uh, uh, as case descendants continue to multiply we saw the building almost like a technological technological revolution right the building of animal husbandry the arts and music and technology food entertainment and tools that's what you see in culture isn't it So the fact that we are broken by sin doesn't mean that we will not make things. That doesn't mean we won't reflect God's image. We still continue to create. As you can see in Cain's wicked and murderous uh, uh, lineage, they still created things. So the fact that people do not believe in God doesn't mean that they are not capable of doing extraordinary things. However, Cain named that city, not in honor of God, but in honor of his son. In other words, the building of the city reflected Cain's lostness from God. But as I will also say that it also became the means to ensure he kept being distracted from God. Let me give you an example of these two. Some of the technological things that we have created reflect our lostness from God. I don't know how many of us have, you know what is called the pill, the morning after pill. Well, the morning after pill is basically a technological uh, 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 product that shows us how lost we are from God. What is it used for? It is used for the people who have had sex and maybe they wanted to have unprotected sex and they want to deal with an embryo that has then been formed. Now, as Christians, we believe that the embryo itself has human life. It has human life. We don't know when personhood starts and all that, but we know human life has started. Now, the morning after pill, you can use it 72 hours, up to 72 hours after you've had that sex, and it it acts as what we call an abortifacient. It destroys the embryo. There is nothing in that that honors God. In fact, it is rebellion against God because we are not the ones that create human life. We may be actors in it, but we are not the ones. And so when we do that, we are stopping the increase by killing. It reflects our lostness from God. And there are other things there. Someone asked me about neurolinguistic programming. And basically, I've tried to summarize this as it attempts to program us into attaining somebody else's achievement by altering our disembodied consciousness to that of that other person's consciousness. Again, playing God in ways that God has not asked us to do so. So there are many technological things we develop, not all of them are, but some of them we develop that reflect our lostness from God. Why? Because of our biggest problem, which is sin that is dwelling in our hearts. But furthermore, not with the tools that actually uh, reflect our lostness, but they, we can use tools to continue to distract us. You see, Cain, when he murdered his brother, when God came to him before he murdered his brother, but God tried to warn him about the path he was going. He didn't listen. He was distracted. After, when he murdered his brother, God was even trying to get him to repent again. He wouldn't listen. When he went further away to the land of Nord and he built a city, the city, the accumulation of things, the cultivation of goods, the work... All of those things that he was doing was a way to distract him from God. He distracted himself through work and the things he was producing in work, but he also distracted himself through his his, um, entertainment, through uh, uh, his food, through all of those things. Food, entertainment, and there was the last one. And the tools that he has. Does that sound familiar to us? Because even as I'm speaking to you now, some of you, As you have been listening to this sermon, you've been distracted by yet another social media notification. And there's a thought that I can be listening to the Word of God, but I can also be doing that thing. For some of us, when we wake up, the first thing we do, rather than pray or read our Bibles, is to respond to another message, email or text. Or the last thing we do before we sleep, rather than pray and reflect, On how we probably have sinned in the day and then talk to God about it. What do we do? We just keep scrolling through our social media pages and we keep going through our different social media apps. You know what we are doing? We are distracting ourselves from hearing God's voice to point to the problems in our lives. That is what we do with technology. And so what ends up happening is, we have you, when you bring the misdirected devotion and the sinful reflection and the unrelenting distraction, you know what this shows us? That we have a technological malfunction. I don't know about you, but anytime time I have a technological malfunction on my computer, maybe there's a bug or something, you know what we need many times? We need a technological upgrade. And that leads me to my third point. So the third point is technological upgrade. and I want to conclude with two other stories in, in Genesis. Now, at some point, um, after Cain, uh, uh, the story of Cain, Adam and Eve had another son called Seth. And we are shown the lineage of Adam through Seth in Genesis chapter 5. And then we get to this interesting uh, period um, when there's a guy called Noah living. And the sin had multiplied so much in the world, and particularly through violence. You see that in Genesis six thirteen, 13, uh, that it was so much that God said, you know what, I'm going to actually destroy everyone. So God was going to destroy everyone, but he was going to save Noah and his family. <sighs> How was he going to do that? There was somebody else in that lineage called Enoch, not Enoch. Um, uh, Cain's Enoch, another one, and Enoch, he said, well, he walked with God and he was not, that is, he wasn't there again. Why? Because God took him. Maybe God was going to do that for Noah and his family. Just take them supernaturally. Nope. In fact, the way God was going to save Noah was through what? Technology. You see, God told Noah in verse 14, go, uh, so make Okay, let me read 13 again. I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Let me stop you there. The word make there, that Hebrew word that is used there, is the same word that was used when God said, let us make mankind in our image. And it's the same word that was used when Adam and Eve decided to make for themselves Garments through fig leaves. So all of a sudden, that same word now God is using. He's telling Cain, uh, Ab, uh, uh, Noah, <laughs> Cain Abel. He's telling Noah to then make something. God made us, and now we make things. But sometimes the things we make, like Adam and Eve did, is to bring about self-salvation and destruction from God. But here with Noah, notice what happened. It is God that is taking the initiative. God is saying, I'm going to bring a means of salvation, but it is my initiative. And it is God's initiative, yet he chooses to use his creation. Who is his creation? He uses Noah, a man, but he's also going to use wood. And he's going to use the skill of carpentry. God is so involved in this that he gives Noah the proportions. He tells him all of those things. You can see it in verse 14, 15. He's so involved in the details that he even tells him what kind of sealant, what kind of sealer to use to seal the wood so that water doesn't come in. Notice, it is God's initiative to use his creation that brings salvation. But it wasn't the first time God was doing that, you see. Because what, what happened with Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve had decided to make their own way of salvation. They took the initiative, even though they were the ones that caused the mess. And their way of salvation was still to keep them hiding from God, because not only did they cover themselves, they hid among the trees. Every time we try to choose our own way of salvation and we use it mainly through technological means, it always reflects the fact that we are trying to hide away from God. And there are some of us here, maybe the church has failed you, maybe the way you thought about Christianity, you think, well, people are not, um, uh, 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 it's not intellectually satisfying for me. And yet, You know deep in your soul that there's something wrong there, but you then use all these technological means to distract yourself, to keep you away from God, and yet you're not still satisfied. You know what you need? You need a way of salvation that is rooted in God's initiative while he uses his own creation. So he comes to Adam and Eve in verse 21 of chapter 3. After he has, yes, made the judgment and all of those things, God says, those fig leaves are a sorry case for covering yourself. I have something else. 3 verse 21. The Lord God made that word again. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and Adam and his wife, and he did what he clothe them notice it was god's initiative again to use his creation now at this point god took the skin of an animal which means the animal had to die for adam and eve to be clothed what we need is not our own solution we need god's initiative to use his creation stop running from god through technological distraction stop avoiding god through technological salvation because though your technology can provide you with the alleviation of sin's curse it can never provide you salvation from sin's consequence we need god's own redemptive technological solution no it wasn't what he gave adam and eve Neither was it for Noah because though those things saved them from physical death, they weren't the main source of salvation to deal with our greatest need. No, they were pointing to another thing. Because think about it. How did God save Noah and his family? In one sense, it's very simple. We don't know what Noah's occupation was before then, but we certainly knew what Noah was doing after then. Noah was... carpenter and the means of technology was carpentry by building the ark and this was pointing to God's ultimate means of salvation when God wanted to save us humanity from the sin in our lives and the consequences of that sin you know what he did he chose a carpenter and he used carpentry you see Jesus was God who came into this world and the father that raised him was a carpenter Joseph and up until Jesus himself was referred to as the carpenter. And the means of salvation was Jesus on a work of carpentry, the cross. No, it wasn't a work of carpentry that he made in his physical life. It was made by Romans. It was a form of carpentry that was not meant to beautify someone's house, it was meant to dishonor the person that was put on it while they died. And you're wondering how come Jesus was put and hung as a criminal with so much shame? It was because of you. Because notice that God was telling Adam and Eve that the fig leaves that you're used to clothe yourself cannot really clothe your shame. I will give you something else in anticipation of the thing that will finally take your shame away. That was the cross of Christ. Because like God clothing Adam and his shame with a dead animal skin, Jesus was uncovered by our shame in his death so that he can cover us with his majesty in his resurrection. God ultimately doesn't say, because we use technology for all the wrong things that I'm going to dispense with it. He says, I'm going to come into this world and I'll use my own chosen means of technology to bring you the greatest thing that you need to be restored back to me. Listen to me. Your restlessness can end. Your guilt can be pardoned. Your shame can be covered. Turn to Jesus. It's Jesus that not only saves us through God's own chosen technological means, but he then helps us to rethink how we use technology. Now, I'm going to be looking at that in the next two uh, teachings, but today, I just hope that we see God's grand plan, how we are wired to create technology, but also how our sin rewires us to use the technology in a wrong way, but how God, through Christ, can rewire us one more time through his own means of technology so that we can have a new lens of looking at it.
0: for listening to the gospel in lagos we pray you've been blessed by this message to learn more about city church visit www.citychurchlagos.com city church love jesus love people love lagos